Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that makes perfect listening for when your favorite team finishes a test match with two to three days to spare. I'm your host, Benny, and I'm usually joined by a few friends for this segment, Mayank Nish and Himanish, but we have no time to waste, so we're getting right to it. This week, we are joined by journalist Karunya Keshev, who also co-authored the book The Fire Burns Blue, A History of Women's Cricket in India and former cricketer and current managing editor of Women's Creek Zone, Ananya Upendran. Together, they talk the beginnings of women's cricket in India and their evolution over the years, continuing challenges within the system, rising stars to watch out for, the projects they're currently involved in, and so much more. Here's a conversation they had with the last cricket co-hosts, Mayank and Himanish. So far on the last wicket, uh, in our six episodes, we've covered various aspects of men's cricket, be it England's ability to play spin or fast to replace replace uh, retirement. Now with the arrival of the South African women in India, uh, we're really excited to bring on two guests who can really tell us a lot about women's cricket, educate us. Uh, firstly, uh, Karun Yankeshav, who is a cricket writer and digital sports content consultant in Bangalore. Uh, she wrote the wonderful book, The Fire Burns Blue, uh, comprehensive history on women's cricket, uh, and she's covered cricket for Wisden, uh, Wisden India Almanac, as well as the ICC. And her new project, uh, which is Equal Way, is uh, she's part of the team which aims to put together a policy framework to support Indian women's cricket over the over the next decade. So welcome, Karina. And our next guest is Ananya Opendran. Um, she's a fast bowling all rounder who's played a long career with Hyderabad spanning more than over a decade uh, before moving over to Sikkim. Um, she's also had a chance to represent India A and the South Zone. And as a freelance journalist, she's uh, covered she's covered various years as a freelance journalist and also worked for Risen India covering the 2016 T20 World Cup. Currently, she's the managing editor of Women's Quick Zone since 2019. Thank you for joining the show, Anna. Thank you for having me. 
All right, so let's jump into it. Um, so I'll start with you, Karunya. Um, firstly, we want to talk about The Fire Burns Blue, um, really fantastic book. I, I just finished reading it last week uh, and you know I felt like I learned a lot about women's cricket. So uh, tell us a little bit about what your aim was around the book. Um, and obviously you mentioned that primary sources and records were sort of hard to come by. Um, so tell us a little bit about the significant challenges that you came across when you were writing the book. Thanks for having me. So uh, The Fire Burns Blue is a book about the history of Indian women's cricket, which I co-wrote with the late Siddhartha Patnaik. Um, it starts from the 70s, from how a bunch of young girls just came together to play cricket and goes all the way to a little after the 2017 World Cup, when India narrowly lost England in the final at Lords with the world watching. So um, it's about you know, all these generations of women with this... Um, really strong thread of ambition that connects them and um, the sense of fun and freedom that they have while playing cricket, while overcoming a whole bunch of challenges. Um, it wasn't a very easy book to write about. So the aim of the book was to sort of start a lot of conversations and to acknowledge some people in cricket that haven't been spoken about before. Um, you know, Siddhanta and I had met all these women and we'd been inspired by them and there was just not enough uh, data information stats around them uh, so when we if we wanted to write a story about something that happened in 89 we just didn't have that information um, and we also realized that a lot of the women themselves the, uh, this is a lot of oral history which changes which people you know people forget so we thought it was really important to have some written document um, about the history of women's cricket. It, I mean, as I said, it wasn't easy to get a lot of these stats. Uh, there were little bits in newspapers, uh, in archives, but probably really not enough. Uh, one of the big sources that we found was Anandji Dosa. Uh, he'd given his journals um, to the library at the CCI at um, Abrabone Stadium. So he is, uh, I think, someone the statisticians in India really look up to. And I think we found a lot of really interesting things in his notes as well, including things like, you know, what was given out as a, a player of the match award to someone, you know, like, the, I think one, you know, they, he spoke about chocolates that were given out or like um, a, a Luna, or I think somewhere there was a sew sewing machine. So, you know, these little interesting bits like that, it was good to have something. It was not comprehensive, but uh, it was a start. That that makes sense. And that's really interesting. That tidbit reminds me recently I saw somebody getting five liters of petrol in a match or someplace. So that's what that reminds me that, um, you know, but, but it's, it's interesting where, you know, all these uh, events that have happened and just because of sort of lack of documentation, it becomes a, sometimes a little bit of a game of Chinese whispers where you're just relying on sources who've been around and, uh, so it's, it's definitely good to see that Anji Dosa's records have, have been, um, you know, as you mentioned, he's, he's been a, a bit of a legend as, as far as cricket statistics are concerned. Yeah, so I think this this book is fantastic because it attempts to create that first comprehensive record of women's cricket. And I've been reading through it and it's really good. And I can imagine the kind of challenges you would have gone through. Uh, I want to start at the beginning and ask you, Karunia. Now, the... Patronage of men's and women's cricket was very different. Like the stories were very different. Uh, men's cricket was patronized by the princes, by the British. Uh, women's cricket was patronized by the rich Indians. So can you talk more about that and uh, what it means for the two games today? 
Yeah, this is something we did wonder about. Um, the way men's cricket came together in India and the way women's cricket came up is very different. So even the whole, um, you know, the the pentangular that you had in Bombay, how uh, how cricket was even segregated, that sort of never happened for in the women's game. Um, there's right. almost as if there is no record of women's cricket happening before the 70s there are these little bits and pieces around the country you know some some teacher in kerala that wanted to uh, to play some some british officer's wife who sort of uh, helped local people pick up the game but it seemed almost like a sideshow uh, something for amusement entertainment um, so where we had a lot of women taking up tennis uh, and where football was almost seen as an anti colonial uh sport in india yeah. all that it just seemed to have passed women's cricket at least we may find some document at some point which which sort of challenges these views but based on what we have this is i suppose a fair assessment um one big reason where why it was i wouldn't say elites but definitely a people of a certain milieu in society that played uh, women's cricket it was because they had to pay their own way uh fine right, it's not that men's cricket was financially lucrative then either but it was definitely more than this um and more than anything else it was, it was very young women so it had a lot of their parents supporting them um and a lot of their parents themselves were people who were involved in cricket maybe who didn't get to see their dreams be realized at the state level or a national level but these are you know grandmothers and mothers who watched a lot of cricket and were like you know it's okay to play you know it's okay if my girl plays and that's not a sentiment that comes from uh many indian families still right so right. It, it is a very particular set of women that played and actually even if you see now i wouldn't say it's been played by uh, the elite in indian society because sport is livelihood for a lot of people so uh, so maybe it has sort of changed now but it still requires a certain amount of um, self financial self sufficiency to play right. cricket because it's an expensive so my next question um, you know i was reading about 1973 when club cricket was sort of the only uh, you know women's cricket around and there were teams which traveled three days and you know to play maybe one game or play for a few hours and the facilities were poor obviously at that point there were also safety challenges and it almost reminded me of the women's ipl last year or uh, the t20 challenge um, and uh, uh, and I'll, i'll get your thoughts first as to uh, you know have things really changed because i feel like even though all of this progress has happened many of these cricketers are you know household names to some extent um, the fact is they quarantined for so long in, in last year's women's ipl and then they ended up playing three games um, so that has to be a little frustrating and how do you sort of see the parallels in uh, the 70s um well I, th- i think it would be a little harsh to say things haven't changed i mean things have definitely changed but um when i was watching that or i mean looking at that women's t20 challenge something that i was reminded of was actually inter university tournaments that happen now so like it reminded me of something that i went through where we traveled for three days to get from hyderabad to delhi um our draws were we were directly in the quarter final so so we spent like 7 days in jaunpur which in uh, february i think so it was really really cold it was like 4 degrees um so we spent a week there with absolutely no cricket 
we played one game, got knocked out in the first game, and then came back home in a gen in a general compartment. So that was pretty much uh, what I thought of when I when I saw that women's T20 challenge, and you know what happened with velocity. So uh, look, I think things have changed. Uh, we 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 also do need to remember these are kind of extraordinary instances where yes, they weren't handled very well, but uh, it, this is hopefully just a, a one-off thing where we we don't con continue to see this kind of treatment for the women's game. Um, but uh, in terms of, I think, the way things are structured, at least in domestic cricket, it's slightly better. Um, I, th I, I think that while we don't play as much as, say, they used to do in, in the early 2000s, at least within the domestic circuit, there is a better structure in terms of you know when you're going to play, whom you're going to play against. So all that's kind of drawn up slightly well in advance. Not this time, of course. Again, extraordinary circumstances. But, you know, sure. uh, I think from... Uh, say 2008 things have been better structured um, we have been playing a lot more games again maybe not at age group level but I think senior level there have been a decent number of games so uh, yeah I, I think things have changed uh, not as fast as I think a lot of us would have liked uh, but but they are on the, the upward climb. Sure Karanya would you like to add anything there? No, I agree. I think the biggest change has been in terms of facilities. I, I don't think it can be compared at all. Um, the kind of access to world-class infrastructure that a lot of the um, top athletes have, and even at the state level, they do have access to these international grounds uh, a lot of the time. And that is the biggest change. Uh, the budgets are massively different now. And uh, those are all wins that do need to be considered. Absolutely. That makes sense. That's pretty fair. Um, yeah, you're right. It, they were, you know, sort of shocking circumstances or, un, un, uh, you know, circumstances which are sort of out of their control. But um, I personally was a little disappointed just to see, you know, uh, three games after um, the, all these players, there were 40, 50 players quarantined for such a long time. I want to tie into that. Karunia, um, the BCC I took over when women's cricket in 2006. So has that led to an expansion in the facilities and an improvement in the infrastructure for the women's game? Because this also led to the loss of the railways team and the Air India team, uh, which were two of the big giants in the system. Uh, how is the BCCI coming in sort of changed to women's cricket? Has it been positive, a net positive? I would say so. I think it has been a massive positive, uh, simply because the the, how things were before they were always struggling for financial survival and that is no way to do it we have stories of uh, Shubhangi Kulkarni who was running things before she actually helped uh, merge things with the BCCI saying that she uh, had to break her FDs just to make sure that a lot of these girls get to play or get to prepare for a world cup and that is no way to run things wow. the wow. fact that the Air India uh, Railways competition was broken. That, of course, is a loss. But uh, if you think about it, if things are done in a right way, it still means that uh, the BCCI runs a lot of really successful competitive tournaments, such as the IPL. So it, it's there are other things in which women's cricket in India can build that rivalry onto, can build that sense of competition onto. Um, at a previous time, there was also a lot of competition uh, for between the two associations for grounds, for access to grounds. Um, uh, there were clashes, you know, uh, 
because the men's game was playing because the men were playing at a certain ground at a certain time the women often had to move their match because uh, it would clash with the tv uh, slots if they were lucky enough to be shown on tv so things like that um there are also contracts now the maybe the biggest drawback is that before there used to be a lot of women in charge and that isn't the case anymore uh, if th- there is no one person or one wing in the bcci that is prioritizing women's cricket if they get that right i think a lot of the problems will be solved yeah i mean i i do think that um, like karunya said a lot has changed a lot a lot of positive change we, there there is or players do get access to better grounds better facilities you're able to practice on turf wickets which weren't which wasn't previously possible at least for state players so you know that kind of access is definitely improved but as far as the air india railways thing is concerned you know it's one of my one of my biggest irritations actually is that if you look at the domestic circuit and the players within the domestic circuit um if you're able to find anyone over 25 who is not employed in railways and who is not centrally contracted um i mean i'll doff my hat to you because there are very very few girls who you know are are committed enough or are able to to stay in the system because it's not um there's no motivation to stay in the system once right. you cross 25 because let's be honest we're slightly an ages system so you know your your chances of playing a higher level kind of reduce um you don't have an employ an, an employer who will you know give you time off to play if you're not employed with the railways so there are a lot of issues there and and i think that's one of our major that's one of my major uh, irritations with the system is that we lose a lot of players who are kind of just reaching their prime um and if you if you think about like uh, countries like australia um i think the strength of any system or any domestic system is the senior players and even if you look at men's cricket it is the wasim jafar the amol mazumdar the ambati raidus right now who kind of uh, provide i suppose the stability to allow the likes of rishabh pant and ishan kishan to flourish and within a domestic system if you if you aren't able to motivate those players to stay there um it's it kind of weakens the system itself and i think that's why a lot of people are advocating for an ipl because at least then you're kind of motivating these girls to to stick the, to stick in the system and it allows then players like shafali verma like uh, jamima rodrigues to learn quickly and then adapt quicker at international level so i think that's one of the biggest drawbacks of or if you can call it a drawback of of the bcci having taken over but again when you look at uh, men's cricket there are so many corporate tournaments so those are things that i think need to be started in the women's circuit very fascinating so it's sense. like you don't have experienced players who stay in the system to give back right so the system is weakened because of that very fascinating so switching over slightly so we've talked about you know um sort of the structure that bcci has um especially as respect to facilities and and what it gives to the senior players but talking about more at the grassroots level um has that changed a lot are there a lot more academies out there um which you know girls or women in smaller town can go to or is it fairly restricted to the bigger cities yeah i i think right now it's largely restricted to the bigger cities i i think while the game or while a lot of players are emerging from salt smaller towns i think practice facilities or high quality practice facilities are still um you know centered in the larger cities and and that's one of the major issues i think in terms of at least branching out and finding more more players more quicker so um yeah that's one of the issues and i think in terms of 
at the grassroots, if you're looking at things like school cricket, it, that's pretty non-existent. I mean, you're probably able to find it in Bombay or, or Hyderabad has an inter-school competition, but it's very few and far between. It's also only associations that are willing to take that step um, and, and are actually willing to do it themselves. Um, it's only there that you'll find inter-school cricket. Um, again, I, uh, I'm going to talk about something that happened when I was in school, uh, when I was in 12th or something. I went and spoke to the principal about starting a girls team in my school. And so I, I made announcements across middle school, high school, primary school. And there were a lot of girls, surprisingly, who wanted to play cricket. And so I went to Hyderabad Public School. It's it's a very, I suppose it's a school with a cricketing background since Mama Dazaruddin went there. And so there were facilities, there were coaches. Um, so I went to the principal with this list of, of around 50 or 60 girls who were interested in playing. And he said, um, sure, you can, you know, you can get them to practice, but one, you cannot practice when the boys are practicing. And two, you will have to hire your own coach. So I, I mean, of course it didn't work out and we weren't able to do it. We, we played a few games ourselves during the breaks and things like that. But I, I just think that those type of things, state associations of course have to kind of encourage schools to start their, start women's teams because that's where, you know, girls kind of pick up games quickly. I think, you know, when, when you look at people like Shikha Pandey who probably I think she started training professionally at 18. She started training professionally at 18 and is very, very successful. Imagine if you get a girl who's able to play a large number of sports. Think of someone like Sophie Devine. Um, and then kind of transfer all those skills into, into cricket as a professional slightly later. I think there's so much that we can do, but we're, we're only catching these girls slightly later. And again, there's no motivation to stay in the game once you start understanding it. So that I think there are lots of issues that kind of uh, yeah. snowball. And, and yeah, but I think age group cricket is a lot better. It's just, there's just not as much of it as, as there should. And Karunia, before I throw that question to you, um, also want to talk about BCCI's Vision 2020 and uh, how much success do you see with that? I, uh, I don't know if the Vision 2020 was ever really made public or um, or if anyone actually said achievable goals and achievable targets for it. And if anything from a grassroots program to an elite high performance program has to succeed, you do need um, these achievable targets that saying, okay, in five years, this is what we, this is what we want to try and achieve. Uh, it doesn't have to be, we want to win a world cup. Uh, or even if it is that you need to go, work backwards and say maybe we want to have so many girls playing cricket at this age uh, at this age group as of now we don't even have that data we don't know how many girls are playing cricket in india we don't know at what point they're leaving the sport um, anecdotally we know that the minute there's a change from tennis ball cricket to uh, you know, leather ball or harder ball cricket, the minute they need to sort of invest more into their kit, some people drop off. The minute you need to start traveling for matches, some people drop off. Um, then, you know, further on, 10th, 12th, as Ananya said, you know, after 25, when when jobs are less, uh, potentially managed, all this is anecdotal. We, we don't know when people drop out of cricket. And before developing any vision, any um, any program at any level, you do need to sort of have a better idea than we do right now about this system itself. 
So um, for the next question, um, Karne, I'll go to you first. Uh, talking about World Cups in specific, we've talked a little bit about you know grassroots. So switching back to World Cups and uh, what people see. Obviously, in 1988, India's entry was not sent uh, due to some miscommunication. There were other World Cups where the Indian team turned up with 18 months of no international cricket or no match practice. And uh, it just it just boggles my mind, firstly, I'll say that. Um, and then, you know, the ongoing series as well with South Africa, that's another example where they're playing one day after 400 odd days. Um, and compare that to the three big nations in, in women's cricket, which is New Zealand, Australia, and England, uh, to some extent, South Africa as well, and how much that match practice they get. Um, you know, it's clear that we're hampering their chances at, at doing well at a World Cup. We've not given them enough match practice. But what are the other key things that come to mind um, which are ham- hampering India's chances as far as the World Cup is concerned? So for the T20 World Cup last year, India went into it with excellent match practice. Even the T20 World Cup before that, they went into it with excellent match practice. I think for the first time you speak to the girls, they would have actually said, you know, this is, we can't complain about this. So in terms of organizing matches, the BCCI until the pandemic had got a lot better about it. I think this year has shown us how uh, weak that foundation is, how weak that success is. um, And it is something that they do need to work on. Coming to the World Cup itself, India has featured in a lot of finals without being able to take that, uh, you know, that last step. And after every time there are these postmortems that are done about, you know, one of the big things that comes up is that there is no strong bench. The, there is no strong bench because you don't have these pathway structures. You don't have this large group of people um, with which to pick from. As we're speaking, India are playing a series where are playing an international series where it's been said again and again that they hope to experiment and try new faces at this level. But this is something that should happen at a level before the international, um, you know, before people get to this, before they represent India, they need to have done a lot of work to get there. Um, They need to have been given a lot of confidence before getting there about, you know, the level of cricket awareness, how do they play under pressure situations, Maybe maybe the team needs a mental coach to help them through certain situations. This is something that has come up again and again. So on one side, the issue is systemic, where you talk about pathways. And on the other side, it is also cricketing, by which you, know, you identify those areas in cricket where the team maybe is slightly behind, uh, say, somewhere like in Australia or in England. Uh, for example, our, our power play scoring, you know, where does it stand compared to other teams, um, the middle overs, you know, what are the run rates like? So things like this, it also comes down to coaching. And um, so I think it's a mix of two. It's a mix of systemic change that needs to happen as well as, you know, like a different kind of understanding on the cricketing side of things. I, I completely agree with what Karina said, especially about the systemic issues that we have. But in terms of, uh, you know, just the cricketing issues, I think one of the things uh, that where India is kind of really far behind, especially the women's team, is just the use of data. I think we don't use data as well as we could. We There is now so much available, uh, you know, most matches are, are streamed, so you can watch videos and you can see things like that, but we just don't seem to, uh, you know, use the available data to then create strategies or, or find ways to overcome, uh, you know, different 
types of opposition and 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 like she said maybe look in look into the way we're approaching power power plays whether that's with the ball or with the bat and so things like that i i think uh, you know having seen how how that system works especially in women's cricket i think we're really far behind in terms of how we use data and and teams like australia and even south africa now are kind of using that data against us and for some reason we haven't caught up because i think we've been exposed especially in these knockout games where um we one i think a lot of people have spoken about the need for a, a sports psychologist or a mental coach but then there is this other issue which is cricketing which is i don't think we we employ the right strategies at the right times and that's simply because i think we're still kind of we're refusing to to move uh, at the same pace as say in australia because if you look at the way we play odi cricket and and i think we're a fantastic uh, odi side but we're still kind of playing maybe like 5 years behind in australia is at the moment so those are issues that if we if we really are are very serious about playing a world cup it, it reflects in the selections we make it reflects in the way we approach um you know choosing our 11 for for different things so uh yeah systemic issues cricketing issues and i i think i i'm hoping that you know i i think 2022 is is actually a huge chance for us to actually make potentially take a, to win a world cup but i think we'll have to really really quickly fix a lot of it yeah and, and to your point about um you know sort of playing cricket which australia was playing 5 years ago that almost reminded me of uh you know this series and how somebody like shafali verma has not been picked in the odi squad so that you know really shocked me because i i thought that with the 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 batting lineup that in uh, that india has obviously there's harman preet uh, smriti mandhana can play quickly but but still there's like still some firepower that could be added and shafali verma would be pretty useful there so uh, yeah i do see your point around you know just adaptability being uh, a little bit lacking in in some ways yeah so uh, i want to talk about the cricket now because as a casual watcher i feel that batting has evolved more than bowling in women's cricket i see a lot more power hitting uh what sort of shift have you seen in the last 10 years because men's cricket has sort of become batting heavy as far as uh, the white ball is concerned uh how does it contrast with what's happening in women's cricket is 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 there a trend like that that you see ananya um if you'd like to go first uh yeah i i think so definitely is a trend and there is a shift towards um i think a quicker scoring and we are i think the batters like you said are kind of i suppose improving at a different rate than the bowlers and i think that's strangely enough largely due to the fact that we play a lot more white ball cricket and white ball cricket is largely about dot balls rather than taking wickets um and at least in india and that's the kind of mindset you grow up on playing only white ball cricket you're told in team meetings constantly about just you know stick to one area bowl dot balls and the more dot balls you bowl you know the 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 more chance your team will win so there's it's i think bowling is kind of in white ball cricket in india is largely a defensive approach whereas with the bat you're forced to attack because runs are a premium of white ball cricket so uh, strangely enough i think it's because we don't play long formats that we're not able to kind of i suppose improve improve at a right improve at the same rate as the batters um and yeah i think power hitting is definitely kind of uh, improved i suppose hugely if you look at someone like shafali verma only 617 and and she's able to clear the ground with ease and i think that's also largely uh, due to the fact that at least until say 3 or 4 years ago there was a lot more men's cricket on tv so you're you're always wanting to emulate what you see 
And then now when you see the women, you're, you're seeing people like Alyssa Healy, like Harman Preet Kaur, like Smriti Mandana, who are, you know, the, the people who you want to bat, like Natali Raj, yes, is, is a brilliant player, but her, her, form, her style of batting is slightly outdated now. So um, the, the younger generation who are watching cricket are now wanting to be like the bigger hitters. So I think that's, I mean, that's what I see is. Is this also in sync with what's happening around the world? in women's cricket in general? Like, is it batting heavy compared to bowling being defensive? Or is it an India-specific problem that you see? Um, I think it's... um, Well, the the reason why the bowling is the way it is, I think, is maybe an India-specific problem because um, in in domestic cricket, you still see a lot of Poonam Rauts and Natali Rajas. But, you know, it's it's only the extraordinary players who bat like a Smriti Mandana. But I think outside that, when you watch the WBBL or when you watch the KSL, there is, I suppose, a little bit of a, a more attacking mindset, which is why you see, I think, faster bowlers in, say, in England, in, in Australia, because they're allowed to be aggressive. They're allowed to bowl as fast as possibly can and concede runs, whereas in India... You know, if you go for a boundary, you're like, hey, am I going to get another over? And I think that's, it's it's kind of a, a uh, maybe an Indian mindset or a subcontinent. Just a couple of things to add to that. I think in the last few years, there's also been a really strong attempt to play, to make women's games watchable. Uh, so when you're, you're focusing so much on T20s, you're also trying to get pitches that make it a spectacle. Uh, this doesn't always happen, as we saw in the uh, T20 challenge last year. But in general, there is this desire around the world to make sure that the uh, pitches are batting friendly. And when you're trying to get crowds in, they're given something to to watch. Uh, the ICC is actively trying to make T20 the vehicle by which they promote women's cricket around the world and the T20 does come with a certain element of spectacle associated with it. So I think that is one really important thing. Um, In terms of the bowling, what Ananya said is, I think spot on and she probably knows better than me with this. Also the fact that a lot of the women require, you know, a bit more pace on the ball. Um, It does lead to a more defensive bowling. I think you do have more of the slower bowlers to an extent. Um, you, you, You end up maybe trying to go to a certain kind of bowler. Again, I, I think this is a very small reason um, and it is just about batting being the game, um, being the vehicle by which people are entertained, uh, rightly or wrongly. But uh, but yeah, but maybe like a small reason. Very fascinating. Uh, I want to stay on that uh, because we talked about, uh, you know, power hitting being a spectacle. So uh, Sharda Ugra mentions in the forward to your book that uh, before the 83 World Cup, Women's cricket had its fair share of um, spectators and coverage. But after the win, the men sort of gained more prominence, which pushed women's cricket into the shadows. So do you see a similar thing happening today where the IPL has sort of saturated the content market and there's so much cricket the men play? Is it sort of dwarfing the women's game in terms of viewership or do you think it's going side by side and helping it? I think there's more of a tendency now to almost see men's sport and women's sport as two very separate things when it comes to packaging and selling it. Um, This is not a sort of thinking that has arrived at cricket yet, I feel. But pretty much world over, you you look at football, the way a football uh, uh, 
women's football world cup is sold and is marketed it's completely different from um from what it was even 5 years ago because there is this understanding that women's sport offers a, it opens up a different market um with basketball with football with um, tennis obviously has had this for a while but there, there is this understanding that there are new avenues of audiences and sponsors that you can open up and cricket also will ultimately i think come around to this so it's not about um, you know ipl taking over all cricket i mean i suppose it will still be the biggest uh, money source in cricket but at the same time i think there is definitely a space for uh, women's sport women's cricket to exist not only alongside it but in addition um, again i completely agree with what she says i think there is a space for um, women's cricket to exist um, as a separate entity and and i think um, you know people are beginning to see that uh, beginning to to see the game for what it is rather than you know while it's it's very slow i think the comparisons have kind of stopped or or people are trying to stop you know comparing a harmanpreet kaur with a virender sehwag and you know you're seeing these women for who they are rather than trying to i right. suppose relate it to men's cricket and it's a slow improvement but uh, yeah it is happening and i think it kind of gives people like me hope that eventually people will you know see them as i suppose separate entities and and not have to constantly uh, refer to men's cricket to make, to to make women's cricket re- relevant just to add to this at the same time there is something like the 100 which is um making sure that women's cricket and men's cricket is treated equally on various right. parameters exactly. um but also putting it together as in just a day at the cricket i think is what they're calling it right so um it is about acknowledging the differences in men's and uh, women's and looking at them as separate but also there is this place for this product where some of those differences may be melt away but you're also um highlighting those aspects that require the equality right and i remember i think in the 2016 t20 world cup i think the women's game were before the men's games in india or was it some other tournament it was that right was yeah that. so it was packaged together like you could go and have a day at the cricket and watch both the games uh yeah so i also want to talk about upcoming talent right jamaima rodriguez and shafali verma are like young and they're very talented who else do you think ananya is uh you know a name to look out for in the future You're putting me on the spot here um <laughs> I, i guess if, if you look um you know at this this the current indian team there are of course um, girls like radha yadav who who've kind of taken to international cricket very quickly she's she's had had a fair bit of success at the international level so you know i think she's definitely someone who's kind of beginning to to entrench herself in that indian team and i think going forward she will be a key member in, in both formats and if we ever play test cricket again maybe that as well but um you know if i had to maybe like look at the the domestic system itself i think uh, uh and karunya and and snehal have have covered this in their report that a lot of the talent is coming from smaller cities um and and while the academies and and all the big facilities are available in in the city centers um sorry smaller towns uh while while the academies are in are in the main cities i think uh, i've seen it in hyderabad as well where the the more talented or i suppose not more talented but i uh you know the, the ones with with more fire or more fight if if you can call it that come from 
the districts and, and they, there's this real desire to succeed um, and, and they really, really push themselves. So I, I don't know if I can name anyone because I've got a ton of names uh, swarming around in my head right now, having played against a lot of really talented young kids. So um, yeah, I'm just going to say Radha Yadav for now because she's the first that pops into my head and also she is in that team currently. So yeah. I think you played that very well, ultimately. So I think um, we've talked, you know, about various aspects about women cricket and um, also just, you know, the, the problems faced. But uh, now we want to talk a little bit about uh, you both. So Karunia, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the Equal Hue project. Um, what are the goals? And I guess, you know, as average cricket fans who just follow the sport and, and try to tune in as much as possible, what can we do to contribute? So um, the Equal Hue project is a relatively long-term idea. So we're thinking about something, you know, that, that we can achieve over 10 years. It is a collaboration between Snehal Pradhan, who is a cricket writer, commentator, former India player, um, and the Sports Law and Policy Center in Bangalore, and myself. So it started as a survey of 350 Indian cricketers who are like playing currently, which was the basis for a report on the state of women's cricket in India and what needs to be done. I don't think we get to hear a lot of the players very often. So this was just like one small step in attempting that. Um, so what we are trying to do is basically offer suggestions on how we can improve excellence in Indian women's cricket, as well as, you know, how do you set up these players for empowerment, both during their playing careers and after it as well. So we're looking at aim, at reaching all stakeholders from fans to media, uh, to corporates, you know, maybe have a few more corporate tournaments, as Ananya mentioned a little earlier, uh, you know, get into the conversation about school cricket, and obviously reach out to the BCCI as well, at some point. Um, so, you know, as of now, we're still aiming to get a lot of resources together, uh, prepare a charter, and then um, see what we can deliver over the next 10 years. Now, what the average fan can do, uh, they can, for a start, they can talk about it, you know, talk about women's sport, talk about cricket a little more. Um, they can, you know, they can spread the message that this is not something special that you're granting women by, you know, watching sport. Um, it's it's the right thing to do. It's a, you know, the Indian women's cricket team shouldn't have to wait a year to play. And if they are, you know, more people need to be saying that, you know, this is just not the right thing to do. Um, we really need to normalize talking men's cricket and women's cricket together. Um, you know, looking at it with the same lens, um, you know, it's really not okay to have a test match anymore and not have any female commentators there. Um, and when, they get on it's not okay to troll them so i think these are a lot of these little things that the average fan can do if people want to be involved and want to hear more they can just go onto our website which is equalhue.in that is u-a-l-h-u-e.in and hopefully we'll keep them for and and your comment around the commentators part that also reminds me of you know i was recently listening to the sky sports podcast where they were talking about the women's game there and obviously there was a recent incident with the English team where uh, one of the players got got trolled quite a bit. So they talked about sort of the outlook towards the game and, and uh, all of that. And also about how like even the players, younger players coming in 
always see men's coaches, always see men's empires, scorers, and all these positions. So is it also uh, thinking about that or is it more specifically focused on the players for now? No, it's about the whole ecosystem. So also about the media, um, how many people, how many women in top positions do you have? How many female reporters do you have? How many of them have access um, to to basic knowledge about you know, basically safety issues, um, all of it. So basically women in cricket, not just the players, uh, obviously the focus should be on the players because there's so many of them. And, uh, but also around it, you know, the coaches, the education, what is, you know, financial literacy, health, um, you know, just telling a player who's 16 when that she's starting cricket, what sort of effects it could potentially have on her even 10 years from now you know 20 years from now those are things that aren't available and those are conversations that need to be had if you need women in those positions to have those conversations then they need to be uh, women in all these positions to be able to facilitate facilitate these conversations absolutely absolutely couldn't agree more um so switching to ananya we want to know about more about uh, women's quick zone I noticed there's a, there's a magazine, um, there's an app as well. So uh, how did this project start and uh, what are your goals with that? And how did you get into this role? Um, well, I, I think it was, well, me getting on was chance, but how Women's Creek Zone started was, uh, I think it started off as as just a, a so, uh, it was a, I think it was Twitter handle and uh, they started tweeting scores and um, things like that during the 2017 World Cup. So Mr. Yash Lahoti, who is the co-founder, um, started tweeting scores and, and getting people interested in women's cricket. And apparently one of his friends asked him, why don't you start a website? So he then got in touch with Siddhanta Patnayak, who I worked with at Wisden India, who, you know, kind of helped him set up the website, um, helped him with content, things like that. They started talking about how they could potentially help the women's game. Um, and then Siddhanta fell sick. Uh, and that was during the time where he had thrown an, an idea to Yash about uh, potentially starting a magazine. And I, I guess he suggested my name. So Yash got in touch with me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because the first magazine, we had 27 days to, to uh, commission stories, to, to get them in, edit them, do the layout and print it and, and kind of launch it. Because so this was done uh, during the Women's T20 Challenge in 2019. So the launch was supposed to be the day before the final. And so we had to make sure that everything got done before that. And, and I was in the US, so I was traveling to my sister. So I was working at crazy hours, um, literally getting up at 1 a.m. and kind of trying to make sure that I edited everything and basically working sleepless nights. Um, but luckily everything came together. So May 10th, I think we, we released the first issue of the magazine. Um, and uh, after that, Yash asked me if, if I would kind of come on board for the website as well. The, I, I think I, I kind of said yes, because I felt like um, I, I wanted to help. I've, I've always wanted to do something for the women's game ever since I first started watching women's cricket. One of my things was either I wanted to play for the country or I wanted to make sure that, you know, people knew about women's cricket, whether that was by writing about it or something else. So I, I thought this was my chance to kind of get involved. And yeah, I've been involved ever since. We've, we have, a, a, the magazine is kind of a, a by yearly thing we do it twice a year there's there, there really no time there's no time frame for it because we do it whenever we can we kind of jump on if there's an event maybe just before the world cup release the magazine if there's something else with it so that's how we've been doing it now we hope to regularize it a little better and 
yeah, the, the magazine's actually being released on International Women's Day March 8th. So, hey, people, download it, please. Karin has written an excellent piece. Um, so, yeah, um, that's how I got involved. And, and we basically what, what, what we want to do is, again, create conversation around the women's game and I think give it the coverage that it deserves because, you know, you see while mainstream websites are trying to or, yeah, trying to give the women's game coverage, they still do focus a lot more on the men's game because that's where the money is. So, you know, we're, we're just trying to do what we can, um, tell the stories of, of not just players in countries like India and Australia, but also, you know, around the world, whether that's Germany, Scotland. I think a lot of these these players have some really amazing stories. So, yeah, just, just to help people get to know not just the players, but the people who work in women's cricket. So women in cricket, basically. Yeah, it, it's just starting and hopefully, you know, we're able to, to grow in the years. To- that, uh, yeah, that sounds like a great project. And for all our listeners, March 8th, keep an eye on the magazine. <laughs> um, all right. I, we really appreciate both of your times. And uh, this has been a really enlightening conversation for, uh, I'm sure, Himanish will agree for both of us, uh, because we've, you know, we've obviously tried to follow the game and, and um, you know, in the recent years when a lot of it has been on TV, it's obviously been a little easier, uh, but there are still so many aspects which we're, you know, still trying to learn and understand. So both the book, uh, The Fire Burns Blue, as well as this conversation, you know, really helps us. So we appreciate your time and uh, thank you so much for joining. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. A special thank you to our guests, Karunya and Ananya. Please do follow these lovely ladies on Twitter at KUKS and at A underscore Upendran 11. Please do check out Karunya's book, The Fire Burns Blue, A History of Women's Cricket in India, and The Equal Hue Project, as well as Ananya's work at Women's Creek Zone. We have helpfully added all the links to these in our show notes. Meanwhile, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes, follow us on your social media feeds, and do spread the word about this show. For more details, please visit our website at thelastricket.com. Once again, thank you for listening, and we hope you come back for more. From all of us here at The Last Wicked, have a great week.